the Mind for Life podcast. The Mind for Life podcast. Where your thinking can change your life. And now, here's your host, Jeff Bogazic. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Mind for Life podcast. My name is Jeff Bogansic, and I am your host today, where we help you learn how to think better in order to live better. And on this podcast, we have a wonderful opportunity to talk to people about success, failure, challenges, and obstacles. We want to get into their mind and figure out how they think about those things and then try to learn some things that we can apply to ourselves as well in order to learn and grow. We are so glad that you are here with us today and we have an incredible guest I'm going to introduce you to in just a second. But before we do, let me mention our show sponsor. It is Bluehost.com. Bluehost is a leading web solution service provider They were founded in 2003, and they have continually innovated new ways to deliver on their mission, which is to empower people to fully harness the web. They are a web hosting service, and so if you are looking for a web host for your blog, website, or podcast, I would encourage you to check them out. They host our website mindforlife.org, and you can find a link to them right on our website as well, mindforlife.org. And I want to encourage you to stick around to the end of our program where I give my top learning moments from our interview today. Also, you can check out the show notes for this program on our website, mindforlife.org forward slash 017, where we have timestamps and links to everything that we talk about on this program. And finally, let me remind you, if you will, please, to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just go to iTunes, search Mind for Life podcast, and click on that subscribe button. There's also a link on the show notes for this program. All right, let's get right into it. I want to introduce you to our guest. His name is Zach Slayback. Zach is a communicator focusing on the issues of education, innovation, and social change. And he is the author of the 2016 Amazon bestseller, The End of School, Reclaiming Education from the Classroom. He's currently working on his next book, How to Get Ahead When You Have Nothing to Offer. Zach speaks regularly on the issues of learning, social change, innovation, and the changing jobs landscape. He was one of the founding team members at Praxis, and runs the Slayback Grant, a grant for entrepreneurial young people. He was voted one of LinkedIn's most influential voices on education in 2015, has been published in Newsweek Magazine, The New York Examiner, The Daily Caller, The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, The Christian Science Monitor, and the Foundation for Economic Education's Anything Peaceful, among many others. He has also appeared on the Glenn Beck program and HuffPost Live, and it is a great honor to speak with him today. I had the opportunity to meet Zach and interview him at Project Olympus, which is on the campus of Carnegie Mellon University. And so I hope you enjoy our conversation. 
All right, Zach, welcome. Welcome. Glad to have you today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah, no problem. Just do me a favor, if you would, and give me a little bit of background information on what you're doing, what you've got going, where you've come from, and what you're passionate about right now. Yeah, the, the way I would describe what I do is that I write and I build businesses. Uh, I, I've written a book, A Compilation of Thoughts on Education, called The End of School, that came out in 2016. Uh, and I'm working on a book right now, How to Get Ahead When You Have Nothing to Offer, which is a collection of a lot of my thoughts over the last couple of years. Up until March of this year, I was a business development director for a company called Praxis. It's P-R-A-X-I-S. And at Praxis, uh, it was really my job to go find companies that would host as essentially apprentices, 18 to 25 year olds. Often these were startups and often these were young people coming like right out of high school right. or they were college dropouts or people who were what I called college opt-outs. So they would go and they would do something when everybody else would traditionally just go right into matriculating into college. And it was interesting to see um, what were the common traits between the people who succeeded versus people who I knew who were coming out of prestigious schools who were, you know, you and I were speaking beforehand, like, working at Sheets or something. Right. Uh, like, not that Sheets is bad to work not, at. Not that Sheets is bad to work at. I, right. I, I personally love Sheets. They, uh, they've put in a new one that's, like, a mile closer to where yeah, I've been yeah. working than the other one. So, like, there's, like, two Sheets and, like, a two-and-a-half-mile oh, nice. stretch. Um, Get that made to order, right? But, but it's impressive or interesting that... The prestige of the university rarely tracked on like someone's immediate success outside of school. And I really can't tell you what their success in the long run is going to look like because that's a complex experiment to run, right? But I would see young people who they were able to, either with or without a degree, succeed in certain ways, right? And these were people who I saw personally in a like hands-on experience who I would place them at a company and they would succeed. Or there would be people in... like. Prominent figures, so like uh, Ryan Holiday, for example, right. who used to be the, the marketer for uh, American Apparel. He's written a number of books now. He apprenticed under Robert Greene, who's another author who's written a number of books like Mastery, which Mastery actually captures a lot of these thoughts. I'm reading okay. through it right now. Uh, and outside of that, outside of the writing, I work on commercialization efforts with uh, early stage startups that I have my fingers in. Okay, awesome. So let me ask you. What is it, like you said, I'm looking at, what is it that separates some, some people from others? What is it that, at least at the beginning, allows some people to seemingly succeed and others to maybe not go that route? Have you been able to like nail down what those characteristics are or what they might be? Yeah, there's a number of them. Um, I'm, I'm going to address them from like probably the least complex to the most complex because... I still read every every week about these like broader sociological implications, and there's we can get into some like a really deep theory here, and we can go into that if you want. Right? Um, maybe we will. Maybe we will. But on like the least complex side of things, I, I think that it's uh, an ability to avoid chasing status first, right. to chase substance first uh, instead of status. So a focus on substance rather than like. I want to be able to put on Facebook that I work at this big prestigious uh, company or this big prestigious university is right. where I'm going, right? Uh, a lot of people who... Finding opportunity is not sexy, right? If it were, it wouldn't be opportunity, right? If something is a very obvious business idea, for example, chances are somebody's already done it 
or there's a reason why it hasn't succeeded. That's a really hard reason to overcome. Uh-huh. Now, there, there are, we can throw caveats in there, you know, maybe a, a business idea that was absurd five years ago but obvious is actually obvious and not absurd today because of technological changes. But people who are able to focus on substance first rather than just status, like I actually want to do something, a definiteness of purpose, an idea of like, I may not know what the purpose of my life is, but I know what I want to do. I can at least put on these positive constraints from all the things that are going on in my life. This is particularly important for young people who, through school, and again, this isn't even just necessarily young people, but people who, through their whole lives, are told how special and smart they are. Right. Because they're, they're essentially told, the world is your oyster. Yeah. And it's like, okay, cool. But Everybody like, gets a trophy. You get a trophy just for showing up. Right, right. And, but especially for the people who, like, they actually earned trophies through yeah. school, right? Well, turns out that the world isn't your oyster. You eventually have to choose things, right? So you'll find that high-achieving people tend to focus on keep leaving as many doors open as possible. You'll see this really obviously if you ever ever sit down with, like, someone who is going to be in the top like five or ten people in a graduating class in a high school and talk to them about which colleges they're choosing, they'll often speak in terms of optionality. And optionality is a great thing to think about in the abstract, but eventually like you need to choose something to pursue, right? So people who they tend to flounder around, they they dabble in a lot of things. They don't actually go deep in any one particular thing. Um, On a bit more of a complex level, they're able to see value that's left on the floor, right? Um, if you if you see something where it's like, that seems obvious, why is nobody doing that? There's either two reasons. One is like, it's not obvious. Um, and it's not obvious for a number of reasons. One could be that it's like not sexy. Uh, it's not attractive to people. There's a lot of status around it. Uh, or that it's like actually very, very hard to do, right? right. And that that's the reason. And often I think it's actually the first rather than the um, so, you know, one of the, one of the things that I think is really, really important is to find somebody, either a founder or an investor or an intellectual of some kind who they're not at like the top rung in the world, because once you get to the top rung in the world, you tend to have like butlers and right. things like that, but they're in the top rung in your community and find out what it is that they want to do that they're not able to do. And then pick that opportunity up. Just go in and start doing it. Don't wait to be told, like, you need to be paid X amount of money to do it. Start doing it because if you can actually create substance in the progress of achieving those goals that they want to do, right, they'll see, oh, wow, this is someone I should really try to keep around. And then they will actually start to reciprocate something You like create that. your own value. Right. 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 I was listening to uh, Gary V. Yeah. Talk about... Um, how you can get started a career is basically using Instagram, DM high influencers and say, hey, I'll create videos for you for free for a year. In other words, you create your own value and if you do something well enough, they're going to say, hey, you've been doing a great job. I'm going to keep you on. I'm going to promote you to my friends or whatever. So Yeah, you become indispensable. Right, right, right. That's awesome. And it was, it's pretty cool that you talk about there's a, um, a perception, I think, or it's kind of like this underlying aspect of culture that I want to be someone rather than I want to do something. Right. Uh, and when you talk about uh, creating something or doing something, uh, 
having some type of substance as opposed to status, just wanting to be able to put it on Facebook or social media. I think that's a, a, a really cool thing, a really cool concept. And it's something that's lost, I think, on a lot of, uh, you know, I, I have to wonder sometimes. I'm not someone who's like a Luddite when it comes to technology, right. but I have to wonder, like, to what extent do technologies like Facebook cause us all to be, like, chasing the same thing? Right. So this is, like, the much more, like, deeper, deeper theoretical point that, you know, you could literally write a 1,200-page book on this concept. Um, there's this concept in psychology and in sociology called uh, mimetics, which is that, like, people imitate each other. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's the study of imitation, right? Mimesis. Yeah. From the Greek. Yep. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you will find that in a lot of people who are, like, very much status chasers, they're all chasing status that someone else is chasing. Right. Which is really weird because you realize that it ends up being circular. And this was something that I noticed when I was enrolled as a student at the University of Pennsylvania. Is like, you know, it's like this prestigious Ivy League university. Most of the kids who were there were in like the top 10 in all their classes. A lot of them were like valedictorians or salutatorians of their high schools. Um, and a lot of them come in knowing like, I want to do, I want to become a doctor or I want to be an investor or I want to be an artist, an entrepreneur. And then you notice a couple years in they're all tending towards like one or two buckets. Right. Like at Penn in particular, it's like investment banking. Right. Investment banking and consulting because there's a very prominent business school there. Uh, but, you know, at Stanford, it might be like computer science. Uh-huh. At Michigan, it tends to be something like computer science or investment banking. And I think that that's actually really, really dangerous because if you actually sit these people down when they're like juniors and they're going through a lot of this on-campus recruiting and you ask them, why is it you want to do this? Their answers tend to be really, really flimsy. They don't really know why. And it's because they've fallen into a process of mimesis. Mm -hmm. And they're imitating everybody else's desires. And the people who tend to be successful, whether it is just like building a happy career or building a, a ridiculously successful business, can break this process. They can break out of mimesis. And that's like very, very difficult to do. It's by definition, like the, the, the thing that is only done by like kings or gods in right. history. It's pretty interesting um, because there's a, uh, a, a concept within, I don't know if you're familiar with media ecology, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a, um, a branch, I guess you could say, of communication studies. But what they talk about is that within every technology, there's an underlying bias. And the bias of that technology causes, forces our brains to think in particular ways and prevents us from thinking in other ways. I just, I just wrote a blog post on Medium about this. You can go check it out. It's how to stay human in a world of machines. That's a shameless plug. Anyway, uh, and so when you talk about what's going on with these technologies and why does it seem that everybody that's using them is seeming to go in one particular direction. Uh, I would say it's interesting to think about that and what is going on by using these media, how does that structure our thoughts to allow us to think in particular ways and to then want to find success or find, and, and when you say the people that are successful somehow are able to step out of that and to yeah. go in a different direction. So it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool concept. Yeah, I think I think one of the important questions is like, you know, it's like the meta question in the background is how do you define success? Right? Yeah. Um, well, we, that's a great question. That's how do you define success? <laughs> I, 
Uh, I, I, I think the question of how to define success is a, uh, a deeply personal one. So I, I, I want to back it up and I want to think of it as like more of a meta question. Okay. Uh, our, our schools, you know, don't teach people how to think of being successful. Uh, and, and there's there's reasons for this. I mean, we're, we're sitting right now as we're recording. We're in Pittsburgh at Carnegie Mellon University. And both Carnegie and Mellon were two of these, you know, bigwig industrialists in the beginning of the 20th century. And they were significant figures in creating the modern school system we have today. And I, we could talk again for hours about this, but like our school system in the United States is an adaptation of a Prussian school system that was designed to create good factory workers and good soldiers. Mm-hmm. Because you know Rockefeller and Ford and Mellon and Carnegie and all these other guys, they wanted to be able to create great factory workers. And that's what our schools are just in, in their genetics built to do. It's right? in the underlying structure. Yeah. The systemic underlying basis. Yeah. It's, it's nothing with the teachers. Right. It's nothing with the principals. It's in the systemic underlying structure of the school. Right. right? Um, you know, one of my favorite thinkers is uh, another Pittsburgher, actually, John Taylor Gatto, mm-hmm. who uh, has written a ton of stuff on the history of school. And he's got an article called The Psychopathic School. And he says, you know, this isn't a charged phrase. It just means that the schools just have no conscience. It's just a system. Right. right? In our schools, you know, people, very few people are ever learn, like, how to figure out how to be happy and how to be successful, right? right? And it turns out, like, we've actually done psychological studies on this. Um, a, lar- a large part of being happy is setting goals, like, setting tangible goals and going after those goals. So, to me, you know, again, this is kind of a meta answer, but success is continual progress towards the achievement of your goals. And that's a very fine phrase I want to I want to be very clear about is continual progress towards the success of your goals it's not the achievement of those goals right right because you'll find again and we'll use the school example you'll find a lot of people who they'll set like their lives up that what they want to do is they want to be able to become a uh, they want to matriculate into Carnegie Mellon University right and then they get in at 18 and they're like wait what now? Right? Yeah. And they have like this existential dread. They hit the goal and yep. now what? Yeah, exactly. Now what? They're never actually taught how do I actually achieve these things that I want to achieve, right? Um, so I think it's that process of trying to figure out what are the things that you want to achieve and how do you achieve them. Uh, and that's kind of the definition of success. Yeah. The, the, there's a book called The Success Journey. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's by mm-hmm. John Maxwell. And it, it's similar to that, that success, uh, the principle that he has in the book is success is not a destination. Mm-hmm. It is the journey. Yep. And it is growing and developing as you're walking down that path. Uh, and like you just said, it's not reaching the end, but it is progress as you move forward. And uh, that's, pretty, that's a pretty cool concept. All right, so uh, just talk a little bit about what would you say has been the biggest key to your success? Obviously, you were going to school mm-hmm. at Penn. You stopped. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what, what would you say, the reasoning, how did you think about that process, and how, does that, uh, how has that, the whole 
behind the scenes kind of like helped you to move forward in, in your career? The single most important concept, if there were one concept that I could parachute into like every high school right now and just hit people over the head with is the concept of opportunity cost. And I mentioned it earlier, right? With like finding somebody who has high opportunity cost. So for those who aren't familiar, the opportunity cost is essentially like what is the value of like the next most valuable thing you could be doing, right? For, for someone who's relatively unskilled and relatively untrained, uh, the most valuable thing you could be doing could be working at Sheets, right? Right. Um, it could be landscaping. It could be uh, working as like a meter maid, right? The next most valuable thing you could be doing could be like one step below that, right? Right. For someone who's highly trained, highly skilled, and highly experienced you can imagine a business owner for example who's like built a successful like multi-million dollar business that kind of person the next most valuable thing they can do is still going to be like really really valuable right? right so there's going to be this disparity at play for opportunity for people to actually go and be like okay there's something that for this guy it doesn't make t- attention it does not make sense for him to give attention to this thing right but for me oh that's a huge opportunity for me right so just getting that concept in for people's minds for thinking about opportunity that they can go create is fantastically important, but also understanding opportunity costs while you're like in school. Uh, so like I noted, my first book, the end of school is all about different approaches to education. And I think the most important thing that we don't teach people when they're coming out of high school is you don't have to immediately go matriculate into college. And even if you're a smart and hardworking person, it might not be the most valuable thing that you can do and the most valuable use of your time. The fact that we have to spend four years and in some cases up to a quarter million dollars in order to get a credential is crazy. And a lot of the experience that you would gain and a lot of the knowledge you would gain that would actually be leverageable that you could invest in your career might come in less time or more may be gained in that same amount of time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it brings to mind a, a story about like Bill Gates. You know, it's it actually he would lose money to stop and pick up a hundred dollar bill. Yeah. Right. So if you can find it, you know, that's obviously something that is not worth his time to invest in. But for someone like me, I'll pick up his hundred dollar bill. Right. 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 So if you can find a way to pick up hundred dollar bills, so to speak, where people are not. They, that that's not good. That's not a good uh, investment of their time. You can really leverage the opportunity and uh, create create a spot for yourself. Yeah, and you know, that for me, that was uh, the founder of Praxis was uh, starting the company, and like it was not a successful company yet. But like I still saw he had a lot of things that he had to get done. Right, so right. I went to him and told him, "Hey, I'll do these things for you after class on the weekends." for free just let me do them and eventually I made myself indispensable so he had no choice essentially but to say I'll pay you a little bit of money I don't have a lot of money but I'll pay you a little bit of money and I'll give you some equity in the company right Right. Um, I went through a similar process recently with uh, you know a prominent investor where it was like okay this guy has a lot of things to do he's got a lot of things on his plate and there are things that can be done to keep him on track and to make him even more effective that for me at this point in my career, you know, for for my age, I am successful, but still, like, I probably have another 60 years ahead of me. Right. So at this point in my career, it can make sense for me to work on projects as, like, a my, not only a minority shareholder, but a very much minority shareholder. Right. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty great. I, I was 
reminded of a story about Steven Spielberg. I don't know if you're familiar with his like life story, but he basically came onto a Hollywood set as an intern mm -hmm. and then just didn't leave. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just kind of kept doing things and kept doing things. And that's what you're talking about. Really, it's about persistence. It's about finding opportunity and then committing to doing the work. Yeah. And a lot of this, a lot of these ideas are captured, like I mentioned earlier in Robert Greene's book, Mastery, which okay. again, I only stumbled across a month ago. Okay. And I'm reading and I'm like, oh, well, this is like pretty much everything. I believe yeah, yeah. About, about career success and gaining mastery over a part of your life, right? Um, the PayPal co-founder, uh, Peter Thiel, has a line in his book, Zero to One, where he says that a startup, and this is why I, I'm attracted to this space, a startup is the single largest area over which you can get definite mastery of your life, right? It's a small but concentrated area of the world where you can actually change the path of history. Right. And like you don't have to found PayPal for that to be the case. I mean, I, I think you can run a if you run a really good pizza company, I think that that's a an example. Yeah. Uh, any kind of business. Right. Um, tell us about your biggest failure, the biggest obstacle that you would say, uh, how did you overcome it? What 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 went through your mind? What was the process that you know kind of led you over through over and through that? My biggest failure was it is a form of doubt and it is the thing that kept me I and I will say this I, I loved the time that I spent at Praxis and I love what I was able to contribute to there but I overstayed my own welcome there like my own mind's welcome right um, there there's this doubt that even if you are part of like an early stage startup and you're on the founding team of it to go out and create something new is still scary right and I, I put off going out and building things myself for a while because I told myself that I needed to gain more experience or because I needed you know a little bit more of a financial cushion or things like that right that's my biggest failure right is sticking around that long you know I remember being out in the San Francisco Bay Area and telling someone like oh you know I, I'm not sure how this was only last year um, how it looked to like leave the company after only a couple of years and they're like out here, people stay at companies for like six months. Right, yeah. <laughs> so sticking around for like three years, that's a lot of time. Yeah. And that was kind of like a jarring moment for me to be like, huh, maybe the doubt in my mind has been holding me back longer. Right. Would you say that you felt, uh, are you familiar with the imposter syndrome? Yeah, I wouldn't say that I felt imposter syndrome in that case. Right. Um, I, I, I am familiar with imposter syndrome. And I think imposter, imposter syndrome stems more from like well to a certain extent I guess they could have applied imposter syndrome stems from a lack of efficacy right, right? of self-efficacy right of feeling like I can't do this right I'm not meant for this right um once I kind of like took a step back and I looked at like everything I have available I realized that no like there's no better time in my life to be doing the things that I want to do than right now right okay that's pretty cool man um, well, we've got just a couple minutes left. Tell us what you're doing right now, what you're really passionate about. Uh, then maybe you can share a book or two, something that you've already mentioned, and uh, how our listeners can find out a little bit more about you and where they can get a hold of you. Absolutely. I'm uh, Right now, I am 
writing and directing some publishing for The Mission, which is actually right. how you and I met. Right. It's a, a publication on Medium. I, go, I recommend you go check it out. You and you have how many uh, subscribers? Oh, we've, our, our monthly, regular monthly readers are like well into the millions. Right. So, uh, but it's still, it's, it's fantastic because we still have a, like a tight-knit community right. of readers and we write our newsletter and we send our things out in such a way that we want our readers to feel like part of truly a community right uh so i i'm writing a lot there running a publication there i'm putting the finishing touches on my forthcoming book how to get ahead when you have nothing to offer and you've already got one out i've already got one out called the end of school the end of school it's on amazon you can find it on amazon yeah. you know also order it through barnes and noble okay uh and you can find anything i'm writing at zach slayback that's z-a-k-s-l-a-y-b as in bravo a-c-k dot com Okay. Well, hey, thank you for being here. Thanks, Thanks for joining us. Yep. It's been great to have you. Great it's talking enjoyable. to you. And uh, we appreciate it. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our interview with Zach today. And I'm going to give you my top learning moments from the time that we've had together. The first one is this. I thought it was very on point when Zach said, successful people are people who chase substance over status. People who chase substance over status. Uh, in other words, people who are looking to go deeper rather than just portray some image. And this works in any profession. Uh, think about the idea, if you will, of a craftsman who cares about his craft rather than some huckster just wanting to make a name for himself. And so there's something to be said about, about doing a good job, about quality over just a simple image. Second of all, there's great benefit in finding ways to leverage what Zach called opportunity cost. In other words, find someone who can't afford to, as we said in the metaphor, uh, pick up $100 bills. Find someone who can't afford to do that and do it for them to create value for them in their life and make yourself indispensable to them. At the same time, you learn a new skill and you gain valuable experience. And the third thing, don't let self-doubt paralyze you from progress in your journey. Remember, it's so important how you think about yourself. So focus on intentionally and strategically directing those thoughts towards constructive outcomes in your life as opposed to destructive ones. Well, that's all for today. Remember, if you will, please to subscribe to the Mind for Life podcast on iTunes. The show notes for all the tips, timestamps, links, and lessons from this podcast can be found at mindforlife.org forward slash 018. That's mindforlife.org slash 018. I think earlier in the program I said 017, but it is forward slash 018. Thanks so much for listening. Share it with your friends, and we'll talk to you next time.